Good morning. Good to see you here on this uh, nice day. And as we're moving in toward Easter Sunday, just give that a second. Let's go ahead and pray before we look into God's Word. Father, we thank you for just this time that we have together. I thank you for each person here. I thank you for our local body of Christ here and all the churches in our community that are preaching your word, that are giving out uh, your message of grace and truth. And Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to your scriptures and to what you went through so that we could love you more and understand more. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, uh, during Jesus' last night with his apostles, with his disciples, he said this, you are those who stood by me in my trials. And then he told them that because of their faithfulness and their loyalty to him through his tough times, and so far they hadn't gone through the toughest time, but he said they would be greatly rewarded in the future kingdom, in the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. Now this morning we are going to look into Christ's most severe trial and we may ask ourselves, are we also ready to stand by him, to remain faithful in trials, in trials claiming his name? So before we share in the Lord's Supper this morning, let's look at Jesus' most severe trial. We'll be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 23. And I'd like you to follow along as I read from 23, or verse 26 through 31 in chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, and verses 26 through 31 to begin with. Verse 26 says, As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, weep for yourselves. And for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Now that's uh, very opposite of what women wanted. At some point there's going to be a time when they'll think that's the most blessed position to have, is childless. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? So we have the soldiers leading Jesus away. And he is so weak from his beatings and scourgings that he doesn't have enough physical strength or energy to carry that heavy wooden beam to the place where he was going to be crucified. And that's what the Romans made them do. It's just another element of their 
of humiliation, they had to carry their own cross to the place where they'd be hung on it. So they force Simon, because Jesus isn't strong enough anymore, he's been beaten down so fiercely, they force Simon to help Jesus take his cross to the destination where he will be crucified. And that shows us how brutal his beatings were. But it also shows, but it also says that there's a large crowd following Jesus to his place of execution. And some of those in that large crowd are the women who go and they mourn and they wail, you know, publicly and out loud to just express their sorrow over the situation. But, you know, unexpectedly, I mean, you wouldn't think this would just normally happen, but unexpectedly, Jesus turns to them in all of his suffering and, and difficulty, and he tells them, you need to weep for yourselves. So what is he talking about? Well, he's saying, you know, that there'll come a time when they'll be blessed if they don't have children and have never been able to nurse babies. He's actually prophesying of the destruction coming in 70 AD by the Romans, when the Romans will come in and just destroy Jerusalem and tear down the temple, not one stone left upon another. And then as that prophecy goes on from Jesus, blessed are the childless women, wombs that never bore, breasts that never nursed, then they will say to the mountains, fall on us into the hills, cover us. And that even reaches further into the um, future. And you'll see it in the book of Revelation where people will be running from the, fierce, the fierceness of the lamb and they're asking the rocks to fall on them and kill them because they're so scared of the judgment of God. And so Jesus is saying to them, and it's going to affect the, the nation of Israel too, because they're going to be involved in all of that. So Jesus is saying, if you think this is bad now, just wait until you see God's future judgment. And what he's saying is, because they have rejected their Messiah. And that's what he means by, if this happens when the tree is green, just think how much worse it will be when the tree is dry. Tree is green means the Messiah is here and he is life. And he is giving you the offer of life. Now, when they reject the Messiah and he's gone, they will be judged harshly for rejecting their Messiah, both in 70 AD and at the end. And so Jesus is saying, it's going to be a lot worse for those who reject the Messiah. Now, Luke is going to paint a picture of the setting in which Jesus is crucified or executed. And so I want you to follow along as we read this in the next few verses, 32 to 38. And there's that talk about the tree is green, the tree is dry when Jesus is there and when he's gone. He says, Luke says, two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. 
and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews, which that notice above, that usually has the charge up there. And that was also a sign of mocking. Here's your king, look at him. So Luke paints a pretty stark picture here of the crucifixion scene. And Jesus is hung on this, uh, this instrument of shameful humiliation and condemnation. No, the cross was a horrifying symbol. A symbol of death and torture. A symbol of condemnation. And he's flanked by these two criminals as the soldiers are gambling for his clothes. So there's just this scene of Jesus being this pitiful criminal loser. And in this merciless treatment of shame, he prays that his torturers will be forgiving, be forgiven by God. Of course, we know that in that scene, in that whole scene with all the people they're, they're talking about, he is the only righteous one. All of them are on the wrong side, and he's asking for their forgiveness. And Luke's description of the crowd that we just read is mocking, sneering, hurling insults, just firing insults at him. The crowd, the soldiers, the religious leaders, all yelling insults, all giving him challenge, challenging mockery, telling him, come down from the cross if you're the son of God, if you're the king of the Jews, come down from the cross, save yourself. And then Luke points out about that written notice above. Here is the king of the Jews. And then we have probably one of the most well-known stories or passages of Scripture. And it's in verses 39 through 43. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. You know, he just joined in with everybody else. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. You know, what Luke has here is these two criminals, these two people responding to Jesus Christ, who has claimed to be the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world. And he has given out that claim and he has taught and they've hung him on a cross for it. 
And he was willing to give his body and his life over as a living sacrifice so that everyone in the world would have a chance to receive forgiveness for their sins. You know, the Bible says the payment for sin is death, the shedding of blood. And Jesus willingly and lovingly paid that price. He's the only one that could have. And now each individual who lives has to make that choice, his or her own choice, of submitting to Christ or mocking him. And so we have a condemned criminal on each side of Jesus. Both have received death sentences. And both deserve their punishment because that's what that one said. We're just paying for our deeds we've done. But here's the savior of the world in between these two criminals. And he himself is offering his life for the sins of the world. And so right then and there, right between those two criminals, right at that moment, the very act of salvation from sin for the sins of the whole world is taking place right in the middle of these two criminals. And they're watching right now the act of salvation, the very act that all the world has been building up to and all the world will come off from. Jesus Christ paying for the sins of the world. And they show us the choice that lies before us and lies before everyone. You know, the one criminal chose just to to hurl insults just like everybody else. He just joined in with all the world. That's the world's expression or the world's choice toward Christ. Hurling insults, mocking Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself, and while you're at it, save us too. Total disrespect, total mockery. But on the, the other criminal, he chooses to stand by Jesus. He separates himself from, from the world, and he chooses to go to Jesus you know, in repentance and in softness and to ask him for mercy. He chooses the bloodied, beaten man who's being made fun of, who's hanging mostly naked, if not naked, where where everyone is looking up at him and looking at him in shame and mockery and hurling insults, condemned as a criminal, with all the powerful people against him, condemning him. And this second criminal sees through all of the world's narrative. That's the narrative that they put on Jesus. We talk about that today, narrative. That's the way they have labeled Jesus, even though he did everything good, even though he never sinned. They didn't want him. They didn't want what he was offering. And so they had to call him evil, and everyone else was supposed to be good. That's where they say evil is called good and good is called evil. And this second criminal, this one who turns to Jesus, he chooses truth over the false narrative. He chooses love and self-sacrifice over worldly power and hatred. And with a repentant heart, he asks for mercy. He says, don't you fear God? This man has done nothing but good. We're being crucified because of things that we did that were wrong. He's done nothing wrong. And so he turns in repentance of his sins 
turns to Christ as his salvation. He says, Jesus, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, you know, both men hanging there knew they were criminals. Only one turned in repentance and asked God for mercy. And Jesus lovingly and graciously welcomed him into paradise. From this day forward, you will be with me in paradise. Or on this day. So, what we have here really is an example of the truth of God that the world misses. I missed it for a long time. But I finally had to humble myself and face the truth and choose Christ over the world and over friends and over anything else. And that is the question that we must face and answer. Will you stand by him? And really, it's a matter of the heart, isn't it? When you look at those two criminals beside Jesus, one is mocking, one is hurling insults, one is challenging. And just think of that. Sometimes it makes me almost shudder to think of what people say today and knowing that one day they're going to stand before God. And one day they're going to see Jesus. I'm thinking, oh, you don't want to say that. And so you have on the one side the sneering, the mocking, the insulter. And on the other side, Jesus, remember me in your kingdom with a humble and repentant heart. It all comes down to the heart, doesn't it? And again, we're seeing this in our culture today. Many today are brazenly and defiantly telling God, you don't exist. If you do, I don't believe in you. And if this is your word, I'm not going to follow it. I will live the way I please. You didn't design anything in this world. You know, they may not use those words, but that's really what their actions are saying. We're not going to submit to God or religion or your Christianity. That's evil. But the other criminal says, are you crazy? This man is the righteous one. We are the ones who have sinned. And that very day, he meets Jesus in paradise. I mean, he was just hours away from being in paradise with Jesus. And both of them waiting for the kingdom to come. It's a matter of the heart, isn't it? Now this morning, we're going to share in the Lord's Supper an opportunity for us to acknowledge his sacrifice and his love for us. He says to do this until he returns. So now we want to prepare our minds and then just ask this question of ourselves, will we stand by him?